Hi, everyone. I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. On this episode of the AAF Exchange, we will continue our discussion of the impact and response to the COVID-19 pandemic with AAF President Douglas Holtzakin. Doug, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Another fun week and uh, um, slowly reopening, though. How are, how are you holding up? Uh, I'm doing fine. It's been interesting. We have uh, a couple of folks uh, back in the offices at AAF this week. And so we're sort of trying to run the traps on what do you have to do to manage in these circumstances? And so, you know, we'll have a full report on lessons learned next week. <laughs> well, I look forward to that report for my, you know, when I can actually return to the office and we might be able to do these in person again. So the big news this week, of course, was Senate Majority Leader Senator Mitch McConnell announced that he will be pitching a legislative response to the COVID-19 pandemic next week, I think, once Congress returns. What do we know about that package and what can we expect to be part of that package? Well, I think what we know is that the basic elements have been emerging over the past couple of weeks and they remain um, some money for state and local governments, including schools, where there's been a heightened attention to the to school openings in the fall. Uh, some uh, protection for businesses against uh, lawsuits and liability associated with um, COVID-19 cases, which which may or may not have been contracted in the worst place, in the workplace. Uh, some checks to uh, households, to individuals and kids, um, where. The wild card is, will there be an income cutoff that's lower than last time in a more targeted effort? And then the the issue of the unemployment insurance bonus at the federal level, the $600 a week that's been in place um, since the CARES Act, but but which will expire on July 31st. That's the central set of of issues uh, that they face. Um, Given that this is the last train leaving the station before the election, all sorts of things get offered up as, you know, this is going to end up on the on the bill, the president mentioned something about having a, a solution to surprise medical bills in, in this response. And you know, so that's worlds away from the response to, to COVID-19, but um, that and many other things are going to get floated up. So you should expect to hear a lot of things. Um, I think we learned a couple of process things from this announcement. So for those who who are genuinely nerd nicks and like to follow the inside uh, baseball, um, but by having a essentially a legislative response, we'll put together a bill. Uh, McConnell is winnowing with within his uh, caucus the kinds of things that are live options. You got to make it over the hurdle to be cons- to be considered in this, um, and then they go and negotiate with, with the House. So it's not like they're going over there with a, an open book and saying, "Let's see what we can get." Um, the second is, I think this is McConnell attempting to try to get the White House on the same page as the Senate. And having the two of them negotiate in unison against the the, the House, as that, that would be at odds with history. In most cases, the White House is positioned to sort of play, um, you know, uh, uh, referee between the House and the Senate and, and do shuttle diplomacy as necessary to get it over the, fiddle, the finish line. So we'll see how that plays out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I imagine with the bill and the final package, we're going to see things that they need to get done and things that they have to get done, essentially, um, being floated out there, as you know, as you were pointing out. Um, last week, we discussed one of your bigger proposals that you think should be part of this package, um, and that was the tax credit to make workplaces safer. Can you remind listeners about your proposal and also whether you think 
uh, any such tax credit might be included in a future response. I know that there is interest in the idea of something like uh, a healthy workplace tax credit, um, and that there will be legislation that will, will appear with that, that title on it, I'm sure. Um, the basic idea is that there's a need to allow workers to feel safe when they go back to work or they won't return. There's a need for uh, customers to feel safe when they enter different establishments. And so uh, that, that's a concern. And this is, could require a number of things. It could require, you know, uh, masks and, and gloves and, and other personal protective equipment um, that, that a small businessman might have trouble um, affording. It could require literally modifying the workplace, separating um, carols or production lines or uh, uh, stations on uh, a meatpacking plant um, further apart for in the interest of safety, and that would be an expensive modification. Um, in the absence of some sort of policy, those expenses get borne by the business and they show up as diminished interest and ability to, to rehire people, uh, diminished um, ability to sort of keep their costs low, and as a result, that cuts into their capacity to expand their customer base. So, you know, the, the tax credit would be here. Here's some help. You get a credit against your um, payroll taxes for expenses of, of this type. So if you've done some things, cost you a hundred thousand bucks, we'll give you uh, a 40% or 50, whatever they, they settle on uh, tax credit. So $40,000 towards um, uh, the cost of that. And the way it would be implemented would be, you simply don't send in $40,000 worth of pay, payroll taxes uh, during the year. That gives you the cash flow to actually do it. And that allows us to sort of get more places opened up and, and more people back at work quicker. So that's the basic notion. And um, I, I think it reflects my belief that a, a big part of the roots of this uh, were issues concerning personal safety, particularly in the services sector, you know, leisure and hospitality and restaurants and bars and you know all of that you can do those activities but they're going to have to look different yeah i mean i know this conversation has been picking up a little steam this week i saw i saw a couple of humorous uh headlines in axios i think it was talking about how buildings and uh, are being uh, tested for coronavirus now and so i mean i think that is part of this whole conversation about operating the economy in the face of the virus and making sure that we all feel safe going back to work or going out and purchasing things in store rather than just online. And in particularly the services are hard to purchase online, right? And that's where the big drop off in spending was. Like mm -hmm. we can do some substitution, like we can get delivery of restaurant meals instead of going to the restaurant to eat the meal. But it's it's pretty hard to get that, that you know, um, a haircut done online. Um, my hair is a tribute to that fact. Um, it, it's pretty hard to do a lot of things online. And so, you know, you have to find a way to, to restart that part of the economy, the services sector. Yeah, I finally broke down and did my own hair. But yeah, <laughs> obviously those things, I, I better left up to professionals. So I, I've had my wife cut my hair twice and I think she's done a great job. But she looked at me today and said, um, I will see you tonight. So it must not look very good. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing you recently proposed was changing the incentives to invest in advanced pharmaceutical innovation. What is your proposal there, and could this be part of the package too, as well? Yeah, this is uh, um, something that I would propose to be permanent, unlike some of these recovery measures, which are explicitly targeted to the period during the, the emergency declaration. But 
there's been concern about supply chains and not enough uh, of our pharmaceutical supply chains in the United States. Uh, the, the Buy America uh, sort of initiatives of, of different uh, um, rank members and, and the president himself. Uh, so as an ongoing thing, uh, it would be my proposal to double the research and development tax credit for research in infectious uh, diseases uh, in general. So vaccines and, and countermeasures, um, uh, that, that'd be a, some, a way to incentivize that work being done here. Uh, you could also uh, try to attract more capital into the, these small businesses that are do this. They typically don't have any revenue, right? They're all costs up front. So you'd make the credit um, refundable um, so that they could get some money that they had no tax liability because they don't have any revenue and get the money in there and, you know, make this a more attractive thing to do instead of saying you can't do it elsewhere, make it more attractive to do it here and and, and sort of build a, an ongoing um, enterprise in the U.S. of, of, of this kind of a subsector of the pharmaceutical industry, make it bigger and more, more robust. Mm -hmm. Is this something that would help with the current um, efforts to find a vaccine to the COVID-19 pandemic um, and also future infectious diseases that might cause a global-wide pandemic and start getting ahead of the game? So with the current virus, as you know, there's already a, a big uh, race out there to be first to the vaccine. Um, it's not going to affect that race. People have already launched. People are already in trials. We hear news about that um, every day. It would, however, help for all future developments. And in most cases, the first vaccine is not the final vaccine. Wasn't true for polio, probably wouldn't be true for COVID-19. So it would help incentivize those further developments and certainly for other potential infectious diseases uh, um, in the future, this would be a way to sort of anticipate the need to have this capacity. What about the PPP program? Many have suggested that it wasn't enough for small businesses. Should Congress consider allocating more money here? Uh, there's about $130 billion left over. So the notion that somehow there wasn't enough money um, doesn't, doesn't fly. Um, there were issues with who could use it um, and get it turned into a grant. Remember, the, the, the interesting part of the PPP was it said, you get a loan, and if you spend 75% of, of those loan proceeds on payroll or uh, that plus a narrow list of other expenses, we will forgive this and it will turn into a grant. Um, mm -hmm. It will be terribly attractive to, to most um, firms. Some firms aren't configured to have uh, payroll as the, the bulk of their costs. Indeed, they, they just couldn't possibly spend 75% of the, their loan on, on payroll. Uh, they're a big capital intensive uh, operation, not particularly labor intensive. So a concern was it was targeted too narrowly to, to get to um, uh, those, in, those, uh, those firms. So you could imagine reconfiguring it. They've already done some of that, relaxed the down to 60% and extended the term of the loan from, uh, to make them longer. I think the bigger thing is that going forward, it should be a loan. Um, yeah. And most loans involve some collateral and, and there was no, no collateral, nothing required of these loans. But it, it will be important to have government policy support the economy and that can mean subsidized lending, but the subsidized lending should be targeted on people who are gonna make it as much as possible and not um, invested in firms which are, are d destined to be in sectors that are contracting and may fail. So if you're willing to put up your own money to some extent have it matched, that, that's a, a sign that you think you're a viable business. And I think 
restructuring in that way is probably the best way to go. Over the past week or so, um, a number of companies have announced bankruptcy. Other businesses have announced layoffs. Are these announcements a response to the CARES Act money running out? I don't think so. Uh, as I said, the PPP, um, there's still money there. Uh, the UI money continues to flow. That That's a, the big source on the household level. Um, the, the Fed set up the Main Street Lending Program. Essentially, no money has gone out on that. Um, municipal liquidity facility, essentially, no money has gone out on that. So it doesn't look like it's running out of money that's driving this. It, it was inevitable that um, some firms entered the recession period in, in, in bad shape. Uh, brick and mortar retail had for months been displaying lots of weakness. So, you know, not, not a big surprise to me that among the most prominent names you've heard out there, Brooks Brothers and, and the like, are in that category. Um, and so that was inevitable. And then also some of the sectors that are most uh, dramatically affected, you know, the airlines, hotels, travel, leisure and hospitality, uh, some of them are, are just not going to make it either. The industry might end up being smaller year from now than it was before, seems likely. Um, air travel probably won't be the same next year as it is right now. Um, and so you're, you're seeing the downsizing uh, get done either with each firm getting smaller, or in some cases, some firms leaving the industry. It, it, it's a typical recession phenomenon. Yeah, uh, I think you made the point last week that, you know, this pretty much just sped up certain things. And I think that pretty much sums up most of what we're what what we saw out there over the past week. And if you think about it, um, it, it changed something. So, you know, we're, we're doing this um, using Microsoft Teams. So that's the ad. Um, but I've done Zooms. I've done Google Hangouts. I've done all these different things. And it's hard for me, having done this, to believe that there are many businesses that are going to fork out for a business class ticket or a first class ticket to send someone from the East Coast to the West Coast for one meeting and then bring them back. Yeah. It's going to be, no, no, no. Get on Zoom. Get on Teams. Something. Um, and so that was a big chunk of the revenue base of, of the U.S. Um, uh, airline industry. And so that, that you know, they're, they're going to have to be thinking about that pretty hard right now. Very good point. We've also talked over the past few months now about the $600 federal unemployment supplement and how it discourages people from returning to work. The deadline is coming up. That's the July 31st deadline that's propelling this phase phase four uh, work. Um, so Congress has to act soon. Um, aside from deciding the amount of the next UI supplement, what challenges do legislators have to navigate on this issue? I think they have to decide whether they want a cliff or not. Like right now, there's a cliff at July 31st. Um, you could go to another amount, let's say 300 just for hypotheticals. Uh, what what do you do with that? Do you extend it for, for two months and have another cliff? Do you to extend it to the end of the year and have a cliff, or do you phase it out and have it slowly ramp down to zero? Um, you know, cliffs are bad economic policy. You don't like having these big discontinuities, um, but they're good politics because they force action. We're coming up on a cliff, and that that cliff forces action, forces um, the the Congress to get together on something. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. You also have to decide the conditions under which you're eligible for this. You can put conditions on uh, income levels, only on low-income people getting it. But the most important condition is, is the only way to get it to be unemployed? If so, even at a lower amount, it will be an impediment to going back to work 
and and Congress could get 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 rid of that and just say you can get this if you were unemployed, but you go back to work. We continue to receive it. That's obviously a lot more expensive. It serves to fortify the finances of lower income households, but you know that mm-hmm. that's a, a possibility as well. I heard you mention the number recently, but what percent of workers are affected by by this ch- change in the supplement? So this is a, about um, sixty three percent in our estimates, sixty seven and others. So like two thirds of workers are affected by this in the private sector. Interesting enough, a comparable number are affected in the state and local sector. So when we hear all this about state and local government layoffs and, and how it's important to give them more money to you know avoid all those layoffs. Um, that's not the only issue, right? That, there, that is true. There's there's a need there, but it's also true that this has to go down, or we're not going to get the people back. All right. So a few weeks ago, we discussed the CARES Act and the impact on the federal debt. As we move into the next phase of the response, should we be worried about the federal debt? Uh, I wake up every day worrying about the federal debt. So the answer is yes, you should. Um, but you should not let concerns about the debt stop you from doing things that are necessary to support the economy. That's the the basic lesson is that the budget in the long run will be as healthy as the economy is. Uh, If you try to get the budget healthier at the expense of the economy, you will fail. And so got to take care of the economy. That's the top top imperative budget will follow. Um, But it won't solve itself in the long term. We will come out of the pandemic. We'll come out of the recession. There'll be a point in the future when we're back to full employment and 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 it will be the case that the federal budget will be on an unsustainable trajectory. Uh, a minimal condition, like the very, this is the, like the D minus of uh, public finance is to be able to stabilize debt relative to GDP. Uh, the United States has not done that in the 21st century. We've got steady Fs. And so a future Congress is gonna have to do better than that. And that will involve raising taxes, cutting spending, things which have been politically unpalatable enough that they haven't happened so far. And and so every time we make that harder, we raise the stakes in that future moment. Uh, Got it. Another story that has gained momentum this week is the comparison of the U.S. response to COVID-19 to that of other countries. Um, In your opinion, what has the U.S. done right and where could the U.S. improve its response? Uh, I think the, the a lot of the concerns are on the public health mission and the the sort of fact that we got um, a late start, I think there's no question, you know, the the, the, the mistakes with testing and the CDC um, uh, problems in, in rolling out test kits, and we still are behind on testing and PPE. All, I think all of that's a, a real issue and, and a place where we definitely could have done better and other places have done better. Uh, I think that the U.S. economic policy response today has been very good, and, and I wouldn't trade it with anyone else's. Uh, Congress and the Fed have moved, as we've discussed at length, decisively on a large scale, targeting on the problems that existed. You can't ask for more than that. Um, going forward, you know, the next round has to look different. We have a different set of problems now. Um, how well will they do on those? I, I don't know. We'll have to take a look at that. But I think most of the concerns are on the public health mission. Um, and, you know, it. It's worth reminding everyone that we hear this all the time because the U.S. is so much bigger, so much more heterogeneous. The states all look different. The populations look different. And in anything in health, there's always big variations across the United States in the the population's health, in the the kinds of services that are delivered and and the specialties that that, um, thrive and flourish. 
So it isn't surprising to me that we've had a, a sort of response that didn't look like one size fits all across the U.S. We've never done it that way. Right. Just to wrap up, the other debate that has seemed to pick up this week is, of course, the back to school debate. Aside from the obvious health concerns here, what are the economic concerns? Well, I think we've got, um, you know, this this issue of getting people back to work. That's the, quote, supply side problem. Got to get the labor supply back into the, the economy. And um, since that labor supply, which is a nice generic abstract term, uh, turns out to be moms and dads, you have to have some plan for the children. And whether that's childcare, which, um, you know, work the AF has done has shown we've lost a lot of childcare facilities in the pandemic. Um, that was a concern prior to the pandemic. It's now a bigger concern. A huge chunk of childcare is provided by schools. Sending kids to school is a form of that childcare. So you can't solve genuinely the return to full employment until you solve the schools and childcare problems. So this is this is a, an economic issue of, of first importance. There's there's no question about it. Yeah. Do you think it's emblematic of the larger issues where people are? You know, there's a fear of going back to work. There's a fear of going out into restaurants and and things like that. So it's building that confidence back in the system that that we can go, we can operate everything in the face of the economy, in the face of the pandemic. I th I think there's that, um, and there's also the, you know, the, the unsettled state of the science. Like we we hear conflicting reports on the degree to which your age affects your. Uh, uh, your ability to transmit the virus, your ability to fight the virus and, and not become badly infected. You know, there, there are differences across genders. Um, you know, it, it's a it's a complicated um, uh, disease. COVID-19 is not an easy thing to, yeah. to understand. And, you know, to ask the average American to become an expert in, in virus is, is, you know, they don't all, they don't all sit and listen to this week in virology like my wife does. But, you know, that's what it would take. And, um, you know, I, I, I know a lot more about viruses from just talking to her than I ever wanted to know, <laughs> quite frankly. And, and, not, and not everyone's on that page. And, and so that, that's, that's hard. And, it, and the misinformation, I think, is, is a real um, hurdle in, in these circumstances. Yeah, it seems like every day we learn something new about the virus and how it's spreading throughout the, throughout the world. So, Doug, thanks again for uh, giving us your time this week. Um, I look forward to continuing this discussion with you. Thank you. Have a good week. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode, where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes, and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.